0: We've been reforming our elections and our democracy ever since our country was founded. And uh, reform is a part of the American experience. Uh, And voters are going to vote for who they want to vote for.
1: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam.
2: And I'm Jenna Spinelli. And welcome to Democracy Works.
3: So, Jenna, we're talking today about open primaries.
2: Indeed. Uh, on the show today to help us unpack this issue is Jeremy Gruber, who is the senior vice president of an organization called Open Primaries.
1: You know, what's going on in primaries and caucuses and all of this as we enter in the, uh, for the 2020 election into the, uh, into the nominating season? Uh, essentially, parties exercise what's called a gatekeeper role on
3: determining who's going to run, uh, in an election under their label and and the question around open primaries is is that a good thing or a bad thing right
1: right and and how should that gatekeeper role mm-hmm. be structured and because in the United it, States right? you know thinking principally about presidential elections it operates in a variety of ways mm-hmm. you know we start mm-hmm. with the Iowa caucus and right. the, the the caucus is a uh, is a demanding system that requires people to show up mm-hmm. on a Cold, snowy February night. I assume all nights are cold in, <laughs> in, in Iowa. Iowa yeah, pretty in February? Much, pretty much. And uh, spend a couple of hours uh, publicly presenting themselves as supporting a particular candidate. Um, other states, like Pennsylvania, operate with a closed primary where only people that are self identified as a Democrat, registered as a Democrat or a Republican, are allowed to vote.
3: We should not argue argue as if primaries have always been there. No. It used to be that um, nobody voted, right, if, for for, for a, a ticket, right? The Old smoke filled rooms, right? Exactly, the proverbial smoke filled rooms, and and so you know, closed or open, they didn't exist, right? So this, the whole idea of a primary was was kind of came out of the progressive movement, right, in the turn of the century, turn of the last century, I guess I should say.
1: Yes, and and. You know when you when you study what went on then it's a mixed bag because on the one hand they were democratizing the process and
3: that was their objective and that was that was an objective that was yeah putative objective (laughs) that
1: was an objective was to uh, was to remove uh, the choice of candidates from parties that they saw as corrupt right uh, as machine run organizations that were very close those are not and, inaccurate and, and judgments all of right. that all of that was true but right. but while doing that they also weakened right political parties right. uh to the detriment of voting turnout
3: well there's also an argument for why parties should have this control right why you should make it why you should not be in so um, hot to make the process more democratic
1: right well this was right this was a key part of the argument of one of our earliest podcast mm-hmm. guests uh and one of our most downloaded podcast guests so uh, i'm putting in a plug to go back and listen to the episode yeah. by daniel Ziblatt, uh one of the two authors of how democracies Lewitsky's die mm-hmm. yeah of how democracies die mm-hmm. and uh, Gatekeeping is a, is a key part of what they're arguing. And you you want to elaborate well, on that Well, yeah,
3: bit? G- gatekeeping is um, uh, essential to uh, making sure that the norms and values associated with democracy are sustained. So their argument is that um, because of the gatekeeping role of parties, we, do, we did not end up with President George Wallace. Yeah, I mean, more generally— uh,
1: they make the argument that <clears throat> such a gatekeeping role for parties was not envisioned in the Constitution. But very quickly, parties came to take over mm-hmm. much of this role of gatekeeping. And Ziplett's argument uh, but their argument and how democracies uh, die is that this gatekeeping role by parties is critical to right. preventing the uh, movement of democracies towards more authoritarian Politics. So these party insiders have an outsized voice that's swamping the the kinds of public support that I have, uh, and you know, Hillary Clinton ended up with the with the nomination. On the other hand, uh, certainly Ziblatt assesses the uh, nomination of Donald Trump as a breakdown of the gatekeeper well, responsibility of the party. Just to
3: make clear, a closed part a primary is when you identify yourself as a registered Republican or, or Democrat, and you go and vote in that party for that party's nomination. Yeah, that's a better
1: definition than one where Jenna's
3: husband is not allowed to vote. Right. <laughs> so, so if you're not registered as a Republican, you cannot vote in the Republican no, primary. No, you can't. It doesn't, matter if, you know, it doesn't matter how much you want to. doesn't matter much how much you, you think your vote counts the same. doesn't matter. You cannot do it.
2: Okay, so you guys have set the table. We understand now the difference between an open and a closed primary, a little bit of how we got to the place that we are. So let's uh, let's bring in Jeremy and hear about some of the work that his group is doing and then maybe come back and, and talk about your reactions to that. Sounds good. This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Jeremy Gruber. Jeremy, thanks for joining us on Democracy Works. Thank you Wars. for having me. So we are going to talk today all about open primaries, and and I have to say uh, I've lived in Pennsylvania my entire voting life, so I've never uh, experienced an open primary myself. I think some of our listeners might be in that same boat, whether they live in Pennsylvania or maybe in other states that, that have closed primaries. So um, can you just start off for, for my benefit and for theirs by, by walking us through uh, how open primaries work?
0: Sure. Well, elections uh, are run in the United States uh, on a state by state basis. So every state has different election laws. And in most states, uh, the primary election, uh, which is the first round of elections that voters have an opportunity to participate in, uh, is oftentimes, in most cases, run by the parties even though the taxpayers pay for the elections, and you as a voter experience those elections the same way you do as the general election, uh, the parties are the gatekeepers of the primary elections and they can decide who can and can't participate. Uh, In a closed primary state, only members of the parties may participate in the primary. In an open primary state, uh, independents, unaffiliated voters uh, can participate uh, in the primaries. Uh, and in some states like California, Washington, Nebraska, they have a nonpartisan primary system where the parties don't run the primaries. The state runs the primary the same way it runs the general election. Uh, all voters vote. And uh, and the top two vote getters will move on to the general election. So there are different there are different forms of primaries. An open primary allows every voter who's registered to vote to be able to vote in that election.
2: Right. So uh, someone, someone essentially uh, walks in and, and they're they're given either the Republican or Democratic ballot, regardless of which party they may be affiliated with or not. Well, if they're an independent voter
0: uh, and independents are now the largest group of voters in the country uh, and growing. Uh, if you're an independent voter, you're not affiliated with a party like the majority of voters now are. Uh, in a traditional open primary state, you would be given either the Republican ballot or the Democratic Party ballot, and you'd have an opportunity to participate in that ballot line. Uh, If you live in one of the nonpartisan primary states, everybody would be able to vote, not just in the Democratic primary or the Republican primary. There is no Democratic primary or Republican primary in those states. There's only one primary with all the candidates on the same ballot and all the voters get to vote for whoever they want.
2: Right. And And so what's what's the breakdown? Um, how many states have open primaries versus closed primaries? Sure.
0: So 38 states have some form of open primary. Most of those states have a traditional open primary, uh, like we just discussed, where you as an independent choose a ballot line. Not every uh, election, primary election in, the, in in those states are necessarily open, but at least some of the elections are open to unaffiliated or independent voters. Um, 12 states have a completely closed primary like Pennsylvania, where only members of the parties meet participate in the primary election
2: right and so what what's what's the history here um, it I what I've read there it was kind of a movement in the progressive area where a certain number of, of states moved to a more open system but as you said there are some that are still holdouts so um, can you just kind of walk us through how that transition happened sure. over time? Well, you know
0: up until the early 20th century there were no primary elections. Candidates were chosen in sort of the proverbial smoke-filled back rooms uh, by political party bosses, and you as a voter only had a chance to vote for a candidate once they were on the general election ballot. You didn't get the opportunity to choose the, uh, a Republican nominee or a Democratic party nominee, nor did you get an opportunity to help just simply winnow the the, the candidates to the top Um, most popular candidates for the general election. Those were decided by party insiders. Then during the progressive era, the early 20th century, the primary was instituted. And at the time, it was a very important uh, improvement in our election system. It took the choice of of who would be in the general election away from the party bosses and gave it to the, the party members. And at the time, that was a, a really important development because most met people were members of a party. Uh, so there was no real issue in terms of open or closed primaries. Everybody was a member of a party at the time, and they'd have an opportunity to directly choose the top candidates to move on to the general election. But unfortunately, what's happened over the years is that there's been a, a, a sea change, a real climactic shift in voter affiliation in this country, particularly in the last 20 to 30 years and we've seen more and more voters become really uninterested in becoming a member of a party, disillusioned with one party or the other, not wanting to be forced to become a member of a party in order to vote. And uh, more and more voters, particularly younger voters, uh, are becoming independent voters. Now over 50% of millennials are independent voters. So increasingly what were, uh, you know, a very progressive change started to become very exclusionary uh, because uh, a closed primary shut out the majority of voters. Um, And so more and more states started to adopt uh, some form of an open system. And now we have sort of the patchwork of of laws that that we do now with new states uh, starting to uh, more and more uh, adopt some form of an open primary. Colorado, for example, adopted a traditional open primary in just in 2016, and other states, like you noted earlier, Pennsylvania, are contemplating the same.
2: Yeah. And, and what is that process for moving from closed to some form of open? Is it something that happens through a, a ballot initiative? Does it come up through the court, through through the, the state legislature? Well, a,
0: a primary can be changed in any number of ways. Um, there's generally three uh, ways that primaries have been opened in various states. Uh, the first is through a ballot initiative. California, for example, adopted a top two nonpartisan open primary via ballot initiative. Then there is uh, through legislation um, and uh, legislatures in the past have adopted uh, open primaries. Pennsylvania's legislature is currently considering an open primary. And finally, there's the parties themselves because the Supreme Court has ruled in a a very important case called Tastian that the parties have an absolute right to open their primaries to independent voters if they choose. without any act of a state legislature or any other body for that matter. Uh, And state parties have opened their primaries in a number of states. The Nebraska Democratic Party, for example, South Dakota Democratic Party uh, have opened their primaries. The Florida Democratic Party is currently, and Oregon Democratic parties are currently considering opening their primaries. Uh, The Alaskan Republican Party has an open primary. So uh, various state parties have taken the unilateral decision to open their primaries and voters as well,
2: and, and so what? What do we know about outcomes here? Does does having an open primary increase independent turnout or or, or achieve some of those outcomes that, that folks are, are looking to to achieve? What but in doing sure. this? Sure. Well,
0: oftentimes uh, folks try to talk about outcomes when we talk about open primaries, and the outcomes are significant. I'll talk about them in a second. But I think the most important thing uh, to appreciate about uh, open primaries is that they're not just a good government reform. They certainly are. And I'll get to that in a minute. But in the first and foremost, uh, open primaries are about enfranchising voters. And uh, with now 43% of the registered voters being independent, simply allowing them to vote is a critical and perhaps the most important outcome of open primaries is letting every voter vote in every election. That's that's the the first thing that happens on day one when a state adopts an open primary and that's consistent in every case. Um, In terms of of outcomes, it really really varies. Uh, We certainly see uh, greater voter uh, participation in open primary states, studies that have looked at Traditional open primary states versus traditional closed primary states have certainly seen uh, an increase in voter participation. And and as you may know, and as your listeners may know, the U.S. tends to unfortunately be near the bottom uh, of uh, industrial countries in terms of voter participation. So uh, improvements to to that uh, alone are a very critical uh, outcome of, of open primaries. Um, but if you look at more uh, nonpartisan open primaries and states that have adopted those, you see an, an even larger effect, uh, n- even more pronounced. In states that have adopted nonpartisan open primaries, as I mentioned before, where the parties are no longer uh, the gatekeepers of the election, um, you start to see significant changes in the political culture in those states. Um, California, for example, uh, you start to see... Uh, all kinds of new coalitions forming, political coalitions, huge rise in bipartisan uh, work on issues that simply can't move forward in a more partisan environments. Issues like climate change, immigration reform, uh, have a, uh, a significant bipartisan push in states that have adopted nonpartisan primaries, because once the the parties get out of the way of being the gatekeepers of elections, candidates and elected leaders uh, become far more uh, representative of their entire constituency, not just the partisan few that they need to get elected in a a more closed system. And as a result of being much more uh, representative and to to their entire constituency, you start to see uh, a lot more fluidity in the political culture, a lot more responsiveness on behalf of political leaders, uh, a tamping down of the hyper-partisanship that we see uh, on display in a number of closed primary states, particularly and, and certainly in Congress, um, and, and uh, a much more of a, a nonpartisan environment for for real policy reform. That's really what the, yeah. the goal of a more open system is, is to uh, take the gatekeeper's and get them out of the way, put the voters back in charge of their elections and make their elected leaders more responsive to them and their wishes.
2: So we, we, you mentioned this notion of, of gatekeepers. Do the parties have any role here or is there is there any room as you see it for a, a gatekeeping function? Well, I, I
0: think that some of those discussions that you refer to sort of blur some important lines. Uh, parties certainly have an important role. Uh, parties exist because people naturally will find like-minded individuals who who see politics the same way and organize themselves that way. Parties are going to to exist, um, and they do play a role in in helping put out the views of, of, of their of their uh, members and organizing voters and sharing information. There's there's all kinds of value. that that parties have and and they're important to a functioning democracy. The question is not whether, should there be parties or not? The question is what is the role of the parties? And it's our view and it's certainly, I think, borne out by the evidence that when parties play a gatekeeper role, they are changing the relationship between the voters and their democracy. And, And when parties start to play a gatekeeper role, Voters start to lose their power. They start to lose their choice uh, in a democracy, and they start to uh, lose the ability to vote for who they want to in every election. Parties should compete in elections, um, and they should participate in the elections, and they should put forth candidates in elections and all the valuable things that parties do. But parties shouldn't decide in a functioning democracy who can and can't vote. Um, you're the right age. You. Are registered to vote, um, then you should be able to vote in every election. Certainly, because these are taxpayer-funded elections, and oftentimes what the discussion tends to forget when it comes to open versus closed primaries is that regardless of whether a system is open or closed, these are publicly financed elections. Primaries are publicly financed elections. You pay for these elections whether you're in an open primary state or a closed primary state. And It just follows that if you pay for an election, you should be able to participate in it. You know, one of the founding principles of our country was no taxation without representation. That's really what open primaries is.
2: So the other thing that we sometimes talk about or have certainly heard about since the 2016 election is the idea of uh, negative partisanship, as it's sometimes called. So people aren't necessarily voting for a candidate. They're voting against the other one. Um, is is there any any evidence or do you maybe see potential for that to happen in an open primary system or someone's going to say, you know, I might lean Democratic. So rather than voting for the person I think is the best candidate on the Democratic side, I'm going to vote for whom I believe to be the least electable Republican candidate. Um, so that when it comes time for the general election, the 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 Democratic candidate maybe has has a better chance?
0: You know, anytime we talk about reform in this country, uh, that type of a, of a criticism is, is brought up. And I think it's important to look at who brings up that type of a criticism. Uh, that criticism always tends to come from the establishment itself. Oh, you know, you may not like the system we currently have, but just think what would happen if you tried to reform the system and all kinds of terrible, terrible scenarios are, are floated as as possible outcomes. If you simply try to reform the system, we've been reforming our elections and our democracy ever since our country was founded. And uh, reform is a part of the American experience and voters are going to vote for who they want to vote for. Um, and we uh, shouldn't be in the business of telling voters who they should or should not be able to vote for. You have a w- every one person, one vote, and you should be able to vote for who you want in every election. Um, the idea that that we should use uh, critiques of how you might vote um, as a way of stopping reform, as the way of limiting reform, is is a scare tactic as far as I'm concerned. Voters consistently vote their conscience. They don't take that vote lightly. And it's a very rare occasion where they try to throw that vote away and try to play some sort of gamesmanship. Uh, It doesn't work. It never has, and most voters just don't don't choose to use their vote that way. Uh,
2: so you you mentioned earlier there are twelve states that have closed primaries. Um, which do you see as the the best opportunities for reform? Where is where is your organization uh, placing its efforts between now and next November? Well, I think
0: you know the the open primaries issue has really exploded, particularly since the twenty sixteen election, when it was you know sort of part of the the. the public discussion about uh, about that election. Um, and it's only increased uh, the discussion, the debate, uh, and the opportunity has only increased uh, since. Um, and there are open primaries campaigns uh, in a dozen states um, right now. I think some of the key states that we're looking at um, uh, are states like Pennsylvania uh, which passed a, a, a traditional open primary through the Senate um, just this summer and is looking to, um, to do the same in the Assembly uh, this fall and in the beginning of next year and, and hopefully pass an open primary through, through the Pennsylvania State Legislature. Uh, we're looking at another close primary state, Florida, perhaps the most important state politically in the country, a, another purple state, Um, They have a ballot initiative that they are currently gathering signatures for, and and we're pretty confident we will be on the 2020 uh, ballot in Florida for a nonpartisan top two open primary in the the style of California. Um, There are states like uh, Alaska uh, that is uh, starting to move for a a 2020 uh, ballot initiative uh, as well, and there are, there are states that are a little further off states like Maine that have been moving uh open primaries legislation uh through the legislature and we'll be doing so again in the next session every day we get more and more uh calls from activists around the country who want to start an open primaries campaign in their state um and i think that's largely being driven by the by what i i talked about a little bit earlier the Significant change in the way voters starting to see their political affiliation, the move away from party affiliation in this country um, uh, and uh, the desire to remain unaffiliated um, and the lack of uh, inclusion for now the largest group of voters in the country.
2: Yeah. And, and as your your organization is is out there doing this work and, and, and working with companion groups in these states, are you seeing anything to indicate that the, the parties are pushing back or they're starting to to feel any of this this pressure? Well, the parties,
0: uh, you know, it's funny. The open primaries issue is one of the very few issues that unites the parties. Unfortunately, it's an opposition, but it does unite them. Um you know the the party opposition has uh, has remained uh, consistent, I think, over the course of this issue, and is still largely opposed today. But what we are seeing are significant fractures within the parties. to to say that the parties are opposed is probably not being entirely fair because there are certainly uh, segments of the parties. That remain strongly opposed, and the most oftentimes the most establishment-focused parts of the parties. But the parties themselves are very decentralized, and uh, more and more segments of the party structures are starting to look at open primaries and starting to say, you know, the more a closed system is undemocratic, uh, it's unrepresentative. We need to build bridges to voters that are unaffiliated with the parties, not tell them just join a party or, or, or you're out of luck. Um, and you know, we're seeing more and more elected leaders that are becoming, uh, tired of not getting anything done and looking at open primaries as an important step, not a silver bullet, certainly, but an important step in trying to create a more open environment, uh, where all the voters can participate and elected officials, uh, are more free to be be able to do the people's business.
2: Great. Uh, last question, Jeremy. So, what what can listeners do? Uh, maybe folks out there that are in one of those dozen closed primary states and and want to uh, get involved with the the fight, the kind of um, movement toward a more open primary.
0: Well, certainly if uh, you want to go to our website, openprimaries.org, you can learn about the issue more generally, and you can find out about campaigns in various states that you can get involved in. If you're in Pennsylvania, there's Open Primaries PA. You can go right to the Open Primaries PA website in Florida, it's the All Voters Vote is leading the charge for Open Primaries. You can go right to the All Voters Vote website. But if you go to openprimaries.org, learn a little about uh, the work that we do, the campaigns that we're championing and get involved uh we need everybody on board uh to make a better democracy
2: all right well jeremy uh thank you uh, again so much for your time today and for joining us on democracy works my
0: pleasure anytime thank you
2: well thanks jenna
1: that was a that was a very interesting interview uh I learned a lot about how primary systems operate and some of the arguments in favor of moving to a more open primary system. Uh, and I'm intrigued by this argument uh, that states are paying for elections and therefore parties shouldn't be able to decide who could vote in them.
3: Right. If, it, if, I, you, know, if, if you want this to be a public uh, enterprise and you want us to pay for it, then um, then you can't be exclusive about
1: it. Yeah, I guess if I'm a political party, though, that leads me to the opposite position, which is, OK, we'll go back to a smoke filled well, room I, I because mean, we I don't, don't have the money to run elections. Right. First of all. And second of all, or it's come just up with- it's very inconsistent with American political tradition to have a, a Republican a political party running the election. I mean that was the whole point of the Progressive Era was to get the elections out of the hands. Absolutely.
3: Of the that's true. And and so there is this back and forth between I mean, you're you both
1: know, touting the the reforms of the progressives and kind of not liking the reforms of the progressives or and,
3: yeah, or that, that that they are good reforms but they're still insufficient. That would yeah. be the argument. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that's I think the the argument that look, I'm I'm paying for this election and you're not allowing me vote is a pretty good argument and you know we don't have um we don't expect everyone to pay for the the national conventions right i mean that's a private event and so right and the parties have to pay for the party right 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 so you could you could make the case and i think you know if if you know the party were to complain that would be a, a a legitimate counter argument look you don't like it this way? You don't have to have us run your elections. You could figure out some other way within the confines of your party to make this choice. Doesn't have to be a smoke-filled room, right? It could be an internet poll or whatever. I, I mean, I don't know and I don't know that it matters. The point is that there is a, a beef on the part of people saying, wait, I, I'm paying for this. Um, I represent the plurality, not the majority, as he often said, but the plurality of voters, depending on how you measure it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't get it. Not I don't true get an vote. argument like that
1: does have more. Uh does have more power in an age when people are really antagonistic to parties. Right. I mean, it I'd is. make the argument if you wanted to make anything that the you know if you can get people into the habit of voting through a primary, then they're more likely to vote in a presidential True. election. True. That, True. That's you know the primary is a way of registering people and getting them engaged and and bringing them into the bringing them. But into his the argument
3: system. is is that this is better for American democracy, not just because it brings in more voters, but because it leads to. Um, Choices and candidates who better reflect the body politic at large.
1: Yeah, so I've been puzzling through that, uh, it, it, trying to figure out to the extent to which whether or not we bring in, say, independent voters, we're going to be less. Right, uh, ideologically extreme, extreme than the, a, than a partisan. The party
3: faithfuls. Who are the people who would, would that, normally show up for yeah, primaries? Yeah. Would that
1: lead to the? Would that lead to uh, less extreme candidates and hence less polarized? And he also partisan. says
3: more bipartisan cooperation.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it is it is striking that I went back and I looked at some research by Boris Shore, and I mentioned Boris because he was on our podcast. Yeah, right, he was One right, of right. our earlier episodes. He's sort of the uh, maven on on polarization in state elections. He looked at exactly this question actually, are states less polarized, in other words are parties closer together ideologically in states that have more open primary systems and ones that are that are that are more closed and he finds that there's pretty much zero effect. And, and pondering why that is, I mean, he does really make the excellent point that, and this is consistent with more contemporary theories of political parties in the United States, that you know, political parties are not just made up of, uh, of voters. They're, they're also made up of interest groups. Increasingly, interest groups are aligned behind one party or another. This is the main thing, pulling them to the extremes, or it's a big factor, pulling them to the extremes. There's just not any evidence that that's there. So I mean, I find myself when you know, and this is, let's go to a, if an open system is actually going to add more legitimacy to a process that because I think a, a, an organization like this is picking up on something in the electorate mm-hmm. uh, that is an antagonism to the system, so it, it, it wrapped up in their in, in increasing. Un- discomfort with partisanship
3: uh, in the country, then why not? I mean, if I were an independent voter, I think I would find that argument very um, compelling. You know, fine, you, you want to do this? Well, then, ex- then just I don't want to pay for it.
1: Especially, you know, really, there's interesting recent research on the rise of independence. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're not a majority, but there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it has been increasing. And you're going to see it, especially among younger right, people right, that right. they self-identify as independence. They don't vote like independence, but they Very identify that way.
3: I also think that the current climate makes it unlikely that reforms <laughs> like this are gonna have much of an impact, right? I mean the 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 partisanization of American life goes all the way down and you know the idea that tweaking who gets to vote in the primaries is going to have some impact on that. I just think is unlikely.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think that the the this organization's mission and is one of many that we see popping up around the country mm-hmm. these days that are responding to different aspects
3: of a more polarized partisan kind of political right. environment. I think that's right. And so parties have to respond to that just as they've had to throughout American history. All right. Well, um, really interesting, and it is an ongoing conversation. And that, certainly, uh,
1: it is within the McCorneans
3: anyway, and and within uh, Pennsylvania, as we've oh. seen. So, uh, so uh, thanks very much to Jeremy for for uh, for coming on and talking to about his point of view. And uh, thank you to all of you for listening. I'm Chris Beam. I'm
1: Michael Berkman, and this has been Democracy Works.